So, um, so earlier this week on Thursday, Duke University did something funny. Um, I live in a dorm, and I was walking across the quad to meet with some students. Um, and in the middle of the quad, I saw a small um, gathering of people, and they were standing in this like 20 foot by 20 foot white square on the ground. Um, and I was sort of confused. I was like, what's up with everybody on, in this white patch on the ground? And then I realized that this was Duke University's Winter Wonderland event that I had seen advertised sort of all week. What it was was a patch of fake snow that they had brought in for people to stand in, um, which I thought was ironic because it snowed all day Friday. Um, but I guess that if you are coming from somewhere and you've never seen snow, and that's sort of the image that you've always had of Christmas time, it sounds it's pretty fun to get to stand in like half an inch of snow on the ground. Um, actually, I, I wonder if anyone else grew up with images of Christmas time that look like this um, painting. Oh yeah, here it is, um, by Thomas Kincaid. I don't know if anyone's seen Thomas Kincaid paintings. There's this snow-covered house with beautiful lights all around it. Everything is sort of right in the world. Everything is at peace. <laughs> and I, I don't want to rag on Thomas Kincaid, um, but this sort of ideal image of this perfect haven, I think it's, it's probably filled with a perfectly functional family inside of it, all sort of home for the holidays. Um, I think this can actually feel pretty far from what a lot of people's realities are. Um, I know, I know sometimes the holidays, I know Christmas time can be a time when families actually feel pretty like revealed in the ways that we've fallen short. Um, and I guess that's kind of why we, we like pay people to bring in fake snow because we want to have this sort of like picture perfect world. Um, instead, actually, I love this other image that someone made of a Thomas Kincaid painting that I think sort of better captures how the world really feels these days. Um, if you can't see, that's um, uh, those are TIE fighters in the foreground, some other armed machinery coming in on the Thomas Kincaid house. Um, and it's sort of, I mean, this is sort of a joke, but... I think it's also sort of um, how reality feels sometimes. I know this season of Advent, this waiting in which we are sort of claiming and reclaiming God's promises to us, um, sometimes all of that that we're trying to claim can actually feel like a beautiful, ideal home that is under siege by the empire. So our ideal of peace, what we think we're sort of promised— um, I think can feel like it's under siege from the reality of our experiences, um, especially in these last weeks of sometimes our relationships, our neighborhoods, even our own consciences. So in this second week of Advent, Peace Week, um, we might be encountering the intersection of a world that is full of difficult realities. Um, I think of within these last weeks, violence, racism, xenophobia, sexism, 
all of that we hold in one hand with, and we have this intersection with um, the promise of Christ's arrival to us as the Prince of Peace. And for some of us, I feel like that intersection feels more like a collision, like a TIE fighter slamming into a brick chimney. I wonder, with all of that, holding that in those two hands, what does it mean when the psalmist says, God will speak peace to God's people? And what can it mean for us when the angels proclaim peace on earth, goodwill? So I grew up in Chicago, and a lot of my childhood was spent walking out on a winter morning and seeing how the gray, sort of barren streets had been transformed magically overnight into a winter wonderland. Uh, But always what would happen is after a day or two, the snow would get mixed with mud underneath and it would become this like icy brown slush that would take over the streets. And in Chicago, there's a joke that um, there's only two seasons. There's winter and then there's construction because winter damages the roads so badly that the whole summer is spent sort of digging up the damage and re-piecing together the highways. Um, And I know that sometimes my tendency is to think of peace in that winter wonderland image. I think of peace as like an overlay of snow, as an emotion that I can sort of cling to for a short time with white knuckles that makes me feel better about everything that's going on underneath the surface. It's sort of this layer of like general okayness that we put on top of everything else. And I think with that, sometimes what I do is I, like I craft my ideal of peace, what my life and world would look like um, without conflict. And then I bring that expectation to Jesus, to Christ. And I expect Jesus, um, maybe like the Israelites expected a Messiah, I expect Jesus to come and to establish my vision of peace. But I I wonder if instead of this sort of winter wonderland image that gets sort of muddied by the realities of the mud and the potholes, everything underneath, I wonder if the, the peace that is being proclaimed in our readings today in the advent of Christ is actually something closer to all of that road construction that's going on in Chicago. All of that like digging down into the depths of what is wrong and working to set it right. Um, I love that image in Isaiah of the voice in the wilderness, this herald of joy who proclaims that warfare in Jerusalem has ended and now the task at hand is to make straight in the desert a highway for God. Lift up the valleys, level the mountains, fill in every pothole and ditch because the Lord is coming in might to tend a flock of the faithful. This proclamation of peace goes hand in hand with this massive re-landscaping of the earth. Peace isn't something that's just overlaid on top. It's not, um, it's not sentimental or escapist, but what it is is an actual description of the world having been put fully and deeply right. This This peace has already been proclaimed. God has declared it. But it's also to be participated in. It's to be joined into and worked out through the hard work of making the soil 
start to reflect the reality of that proclamation. So I think as we, in these weeks of Advent, as we prepare for Christ's coming, I don't think that we need to set aside all that feels um, broken or the work of justice in order to sort of be at peace. I think peace and justice go hand in hand and to prepare, uh, and we prepare a way for peace by making straight the path. That's the work of preparation. Those things are not opposed to each other. But then I wonder about um, what it is that we receive with Christ's coming. What are we waiting for? What is this peace? And I, I can't get the words from the other reading from Psalm 85 out of my head. When the Lord speaks peace and salvation is at hand, steadfast love and faithfulness are going to meet each other and righteousness and peace will kiss each other. This kiss, this sort of collision between righteousness and peace, I think this is the specific and tangible encounter that we experience in the coming of Jesus. Jesus himself, the incarnate word of God, the fullness of God pleased to dwell with us, is himself the kiss between God's proclamation of peace and the reality of human life. Jesus is the signal and the first fruit and the completion, all bundled in one. Christ himself is our peace. And in Christ, we find righteousness and peace fully integrated together, fully and deeply expressed. One theologian says, the peace between God and man and the salvation which comes to us, it's not something general. For he himself is that peace and salvation. This peace is not sentimental or vague. It is scandalously particular and it has a name. So I, I wonder if instead of taking sort of our expectations of what peace might look like to the baby Jesus, what if instead we actually looked to Jesus to even teach us what peace is? and what it means to participate in this sort of massive overhaul of righteousness that is going to be reshaping the earth. And this, this way of um, thinking about peace is sort of terrifying because Jesus, it turns out, is a wild and complicated baby. Jesus is always saying and doing things that would not belong in a Thomas Kincaid painting. He even says in Mark don't, don't think that I've come to bring peace. Actually, you've got it wrong. I've come to bring a sword. This isn't the peace that you thought you were getting. Jesus says he's come to ask his disciples to leave everything, to lose their lives for his sake, to take up their cross and follow him. He's definitely not fulfilling all of the Messiah obligations everyone had for him, like bringing down the Roman Empire. Instead, he is too busy driving out the moneylenders from the temple with a whip. This isn't what we thought peace would look like. And I wrestle with this. I struggle with what it means to follow a savior who says both on the one hand, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And on the other hand, take up your cross and follow me. But I think... Because 
Jesus himself is our peace, is our definition of peace. Jesus is the, the kiss of peace made tangible between humans and God. I think every time we walk, even with fear and trembling towards Jesus, we are met by a deep and profound wellness because to know Jesus is to know peace. I love that when Mary and Joseph can't find kid Jesus and they retrace their steps and find him in the temple, Mary says, child, your father and I have been looking for you with great anxiety. Um, and I'm someone who struggles with a lot of anxiety, so this resonated with me. This idea of like, hey, Jesus, I've been trying to do a really good job, so where were you? And Jesus just says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know where I'd be? Don't, don't you know me? Don't you know that to know me is to not have to be anxious? Or when Jesus and the disciples are out on this boat and this huge storm comes up, the disciples are afraid and they're like, Jesus, don't you even care? And Jesus speaks out over the waves, calms them, says, peace, be still. And then turns to the disciples and is like, why were you afraid? Don't you know me? Don't you know that who I am is peace? Even tired old Simeon in the temple, he doesn't get to see the end of strife. He doesn't get to see um, the end of political upheaval. But what he does get to see is the coming of Christ. He says he sees Jesus, knows Jesus, and then he says, I have been dismissed in peace for I have seen the Lord's salvation. To, to know Jesus is to know peace. And I think this is what we, like Simeon, wait for and prepare for and long for. Just Jesus. Just to know Jesus. I think that when we know Jesus, when we look to him, it's not that everything becomes sort of coated in sugar. But instead that that knowing peace as a person actually changes us. And it's not as if sort of the hard reality um, of daily living is going to feel any less like July construction in Chicago. But I think that to know Jesus is to be free and upheld and swept up into some deeper rooted assurance based in Nothing except for who Christ is, who Jesus is. There's this poem by Denise Levertov that is very beautiful and describes what I think this type of peace of Christ feels like. The image that she uses is of a swimmer daring to lie face up to the sky and just float on top of the water, trusting that it will bear her. The other image that she uses is of a hawk resting on the air, trusting that it will be born by the air. And this, I think, is what we anticipate and we wait for in Christ, that we will meet in him someone on whom we can rest in and through and as we take up the complicated work of being human, being broken, setting straight the paths making a way for that kiss of righteousness and peace together. 
And what's amazing is that even as we wait, Christ is already with us. And as we know him, we know peace. Will y'all pray with me? Jesus, Savior and brother and friend, thank you that, um, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your character. We ask that you would teach us to know you, that, um, yeah, even this morning, just that you would draw our hearts near to the mystery of who you are. We love you, Lord. Amen. <laughs>